to continue on a series that we began last week, um, and uh, something I've been thinking about for a long time, a couple of years actually, that, that I've been uh, talking with people about this, about this topic, and and praying about and wondering, you know, what does it look like for our church? And, and last week we talked about the idea of, you know, the mission, the vision of our church. Anybody remember, you know, last week, you, you, I'll just give you a quick heads up. You can check the front of your bulletin if you need to. But what's, what's the reason why Kingsway exists? Why are we here? What's our vision and mission? Yeah, building a healthy, life-giving church that unchurched people are going to want to become a part of. Uh, and that's not just to say that, that uh, for this church um, here as Kingsway, but... For, for the body of Christ in general, because, you know, we learned last week that Jesus said he's building his church. He's the one doing it. Uh, not, it's not us. We're not the ones building it. He's building it, but we want to do what he's doing. Uh, and so, you know, when I think about what Jesus was building, is this like, is this what he designed when he, you know, when he came to the planet? He's like, this is what, I'm going to build a church, and this is what it's going to look like. It's going to have a pointy roof. It's going to have a guy at the front. It's going to have a whole bunch of people in rows listening, hopefully staying awake. And then after, you know, Sunday's over, free coffee and let's book it out of here. Is that kind of what you think he had in mind when he said, I'm going to build my church? No, it wasn't. So we talked about last week, and I asked this last night, what was he talking about? What was he building? Anybody got to get a stab at it? What was he building? Community, family, relationships, it all is talking about brand new movement of what? A religion, set of rules? No, people. He's building people. He's building you or you and me, right? He's building, he's building us. Disciples is what he said. And healthy, life-giving church, it, church is all about the people. It's not about Sunday service, not about Saturday service, not about any of that. It's about this, this people, this people that he's called out. So we talked a bit about that last week. And if you forgot or whatever, you can find it online and you can catch up uh, on that. But the, the idea of a healthy, life-giving church is made up of healthy, life-giving people. And uh, so we talked about um, how Jesus... After he said, I'm going to build my church, and then he says, all right, well, I'm leaving, so you guys go and do it from here. You guys go and make disciples. You do what I've been doing. And so last week we asked, this, we asked the question, how are we doing at, being a, at building a healthy, life-giving church? How, are we able to measure it? And we asked this question at the end, are you healthy? Because if a healthy, life-giving church is made up of healthy, life-giving people, the question has to come to us, are we healthy? And we looked at three, three words last week. Anybody remember what those three words were? Connect, serve, and grow. Don't worry, it, was, uh, it wasn't on the, on the uh, required reading. So, but connect, connect, serve, and grow is one of the things we saw. It's, it's, it's from two verses that we looked at last Sunday. And, um, so we want to look at this one again. This is kind of our foundational verse for this series. Um, we're calling the series Circles. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16, the other verse what we looked at was in Acts chapter 2. You can just leave that up there for a second. But in Acts chapter 2, it talked about how the very first church, once the church was started, they dedicated themselves to a number of things. They dedicated themselves to fellowship, to hanging out with one another. They dedicated themselves to, to the apostles' teaching and growing in the word. They dedicated themselves to praying with one another. And they dedicated themselves to eating together, which I, I love. It's good. And so then they, they later on, Paul reminded them, and, and before this verse in Ephesians previous, the first uh, few chapters, he's talking about this idea of church and about it being unified and about every member growing and being maturing, being looking more like Jesus, not more like the pastor or more like, you know, some spiritual people, but 
every single person growing and maturing to this, uh, to this um, level of um, standard of Jesus Christ. And then he says this. He said Christ is the one. He makes the whole body fit together. It's where we get the idea of connect. He's the one trying to make the body fit together perfectly. And as each part does its own special work, as they serve, it helps the other parts grow, um, which is the, where we're talking about the growth parts of connect, serving, and growing and as you're helping others, they're helping you. You're growing as well. It says so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. So that the whole body is healthy. And that's the goal as a church, as Kingsway, as you know, the church as a whole, is that we would be building disciples, um, making um, healthy, life-giving people. Because as, as healthy, life-giving people go out into their communities, they're going to bring that light with them wherever they go. And so we talked about the idea of what's it look like to be healthy. We kind of gave you that test last week. Are you healthy? So we want to talk about those three uh, words over the next couple of weeks. And these words are connect, serve, and grow. So today I just want to focus on the one word, the, the benefits of connection. The benefits of finding your people. And my goal this morning is not to tell you what to do at the end. By the end, I'm not, you're not going to have this thought of like, okay, that's what I just got to go and do. I know how to do it. You're probably not going to have any of the how-tos. All I really want to stir up in you is like that desire. It's like watching commercials at, on, at home on TV. You see the commercial of Disneyland, and it's like February, and it's freezing, and you see it. Or maybe it's a cruise uh, thing. You're looking at it like, oh, that would be so awesome. And then they show the same commercial over and over and over. You're like, oh, I would just love to go there. You've got no idea how you're getting there. You have no idea when you're going to do it. But it's just this desire that's like, it's there, like, I don't care what I got to do or when or how, but I got to find a way to get on that beach, or I got to find a way to meet Mickey, whatever your, whatever your thing is. That's all I want to do this morning, is stir up this desire in you that says, oh, I don't know how, I don't know when, I don't know what, but I need connection. So I want to just give you a few of the benefits of connection this morning, and uh, if you're taking notes, jot this one down. One of the benefits of connection is genuine relationship. Like, well, that's a no-brainer, right? If you're connected to people, you got relationship with people. But the thing is, the thing that I wanted to talk about this morning is the idea of genuine relationship. We've been designed for genuine relationship, connection with one another. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, it says this, this is like way back. This is like when the whole thing started. God, uh, in the garden, he says, the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I'm going to make a helper who's just right for him. You know, God who created everything, and after he created, like, trees, he said, it is good. Then he created fish and said, it is. Then he created everything else and said, it is good, right? And then he's like, everything's good, and then he, and then he does this. He makes man, he's like, oh, wait a second, that's not good. You know, he's, uh, <laughs> this guy cannot be by himself, you know? And, and so what a lot of times what you've, you know, kind of heard is that, you know, you hear about this sometimes where people start talking about, you know, this idea of being single, you know, men. It's not good for you to be alone, right? You, you, need to, you need to get married. You need to find that special someone. You need to find your other, you know, your better half. And, and uh, many of us have gone and done that. But this is not what this is talking about. It's not the idea of, you know, if you're single, you're lesser class. You know, until you get married, you haven't really figured out, you know, what's uh, the, the fullness of life. And, and God will start doing things in your life once you, you know, once you get married. Uh, and, and for so many, you know, Paul later on talked about this idea of single people. You guys have the best chance to do the most stuff. As long as you're single, live it up for him. 
for all you single people, you've got this opportunity to do some great things for God because you're not having to worry about or focus on, on everyone else all the time. But it still says it's not, the idea is it's not good for, for anyone to be alone. When it says um, it's not good for man or for Adam to be alone, that word's not the name of Adam, but it's the idea of mankind. It's not good for men or women to, be, uh, to ever be alone, not for long periods of time. There's great uh, benefits of singleness, but this idea of being in a, in a group so as you look at this and we say, well, God said this. You know, it's not good for men to be alone. Adam had a relationship with God. We sometimes think that's all we need. As long as we got God, we don't really need anything else. But God said, no, nah, it's not good. It's not good for, for him um, to be alone. For some, it's like, you know what, I, I'm okay with God. I just don't love the church. You know, I like God. I just hate his people. You know, like it, it's just the thought of, you know, I, I'm just going to kind of freestyle church and, and do it on my own. And, and he says, you know, that's not how you've been designed. It's not going to go well for you. Uh, this, this year I watched a show on uh, History Channel called Alone. They did an experiment. They took 10 guys who knew how to live out in the, in the wild, and they put them out in the wild all by themselves. 10 guys all alone. They had to film themselves because they didn't even have camera crews to talk to. And uh, they put them out there and just said, whoever lasts the longest gets $500,000. And as they started checking out after a few days, one guy didn't even make it 24 hours. He's like, my mommy, and checks out, right? And, and some of the other ones, you know, about, about a week in, most of the guys are already gone. And uh, at that spot, it's like you start realizing, you know, it's kind of interesting to watch. They sit there and they talk to the camera and they're like, man, it's lonely out here. Like, there's just nothing. Like, all I can think about is, you know, the people back home. And it, this show went on for, like, 56 days. And the last guy, they come up to him. And they're like, hey, listen, you've been out here 56 days. just want to tell you, you won. And he's like, really? That quickly? And everybody, you're like, look at this guy. Like, this is, like, strange. But two guys lasted, you know, to the, to the, to the last, I don't know, couple of weeks. There was only two guys left. And you watch them, and it's, it's like, just crazy to watch what happens to their minds. Because after a while... They start just talking to the camera, and they leave the camera running, and you see them talking to trees, and they're, like, they're making these little instruments with one string and plays one note, and they're like singing songs and laying on the beat, and they look like crazy. They've just gone nuts, and you're thinking, man, somebody's got to rescue these guys. They're never going to check out. They're never going to tap out, but it's like you see this idea of being alone. It, it, something degenerates in us when we are alone, and uh, you know, then uh, it's looking at this idea of, um, uh, of our, our correctional system. You know, in our correctional system, if you end up in jail, that's a bad thing. But if you're bad in jail, they put you in this place called solitary confinement because that's the worst thing that they can, you know, do to you that they, you know, other than torture. And yet now in Canada, they're trying to limit this because they're finding that too much time here is actually on par with torture. They find people um, that spend time 23 hours a day, you know, seven days a week, 365 days a year without human, meaningful human interaction. It's damaging to them mentally emotionally, socially, obviously, but even physically. And it's, they say the same things that torture would have on a person, they're finding that. They found that the suicide rate is seven times higher for people that find themselves in solitary confinement, and half of the suicides that happen there happen while they're in solitary confinement. And, and so it's not just in there, but it's this thing of just this being alone does something to us uh, on, on the inside, and it's damaging. You think, well, yeah, I can see that on a TV show. I can see that on prison. But come on, none of us, most of us aren't going on TV shows. And most of us aren't going to end up in prison, we hope. So, the, the, you know, what does, that, what does that matter for us? The thing is, it doesn't only exist in those areas. Have you ever heard the term alone in a crowd? Alone in a crowd. In, uh, 
UK, this is for the British boys, you'll like this, they did, a study in the, uh, they did a study in the UK just this past year on the effects of loneliness on seniors, and they had found that the level of loneliness uh, was just, was, was so high in their seniors, and they thought, you know what, we, we want to do a little bit of research on this. So they began with their seniors, and they began to study the effects of loneliness on them, but as they be, were studying that, they said, well, what's, what are we going to compare it to? So they started going down, you know, to the, to the younger ages, and as they got through, they saw that, you know, the, the some of them were higher. There was less loneliness uh, all through the child-rearing years and everything. But then they got down to the 18 to 24-year-olds and found out that that group of people was four times as lonely as the seniors that they were studying. And they thought, man, this is crazy. Here's the group that has the most connections, the most possible connections. And they said, you know what? Here's where the highest levels of loneliness are happening. And they called it the silent plague. They had the most social media connection, yet they're feeling the most alone, and they're not telling anybody about it. Because why? They're in a group. But you can feel alone in a class. You can feel alone in a school. You can feel completely alone in your workplace, in a team, and you can feel alone in church. Statistics would tell me that there's a number of you here this morning who are sitting here. On the outside, you got dressed up and you make it look good, but inside, you are lonely. And the crazy thing is that most of them are men. (laughs) You won't say it. But I know, <laughs> alone, alone in a crowd. And you can feel alone in a marriage. You can feel alone in a family. And this feelings of loneliness, that same idea of what we talked about in prison, is the same thing that's doing that same degenerating thing from the inside on people. So we talk about the benefits of connection. Genuine relationship is one of those benefits of connecting with others. Hebrews chapter 10, um, somebody wrote to Hebrews. We don't even really know who wrote Hebrews, but they wrote to the, the Hebrew people, after, um, after Jesus, and they, he said to them, he says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Have this connection that helps us encourage one another. We're going to talk about that in a, in a couple of weeks. But this, it says, and let us not neglect our meeting together, or let's not neglect our connecting with one another, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now um, uh, that the day of his return is drawing near. And so they wrote this thing to them and said, in, in, uh, in the other versions, it says, stop, you know, distancing yourself from people as others have made a habit of doing. It's become their habit. You know, it's like, it's this thing of just, yeah, you know, I'm not connected to people. And I think, you know, in Canada, we've got, we've kind of got one of those things where our habits is not to connect. Our habits is to stay really busy so we don't ever think about the fact that we aren't genuinely connected to people. So my challenge is, you know, make a new habit. What are you intentionally doing to be connected regularly with a group of people, with a circle? There's a benefit of being connected. It's not good for men and women to be alone. Whether that's alone as alone or alone in a crowd, it's not healthy to be alone. So connection brings genuine relationship. Point two, connection brings protection. Connection brings protection. Last week we talked about two types of people that follow Jesus. Last week, you know, as we talked about, there was this group of people that follow Jesus all over the place, and they were the crowd, and then there was the circle, the disciples, the ones who got to talk to Jesus and ask him questions on a regular basis. And so, you know, I was, th- so I was thinking about this, the crowd, is there still that same thing? And I want to ask you, which one are you? Are, are you part of a crowd or are you part of a circle? Um, and in nature, it's interesting because you see in, in nature different ways of things protecting themselves. So for, for one, you know, the wildebeest in Africa. Uh, the wildebeest in Africa, you don't want to be these guys. They're just ugly. But uh, it says they, they hang out in herds. 
for, for protection. That is their idea of um, being safe is being a part of a herd, being a part of a crowd. Uh, and so this is, this is their idea. But when the lion comes, you know, when the lion comes, it's, it's like every wildebeest for themselves. And you know who gets eaten? The wildebeest, yes. Uh, this is, no, it's a deeper question than this. In this scene, yes, the wildebeest is going to get eaten, not the lion. But do you know which wildebeest? The old ones, the sick ones, the young ones, the weak ones, the ones that, that are alone are the ones that get eaten. So the, the moral of this is you do not want to be the slowest wildebeest at dinner time. That's awesome. You should write that down. You do not want to be the slowest wildebeest at dinner time. You're like, well, what, what does that mean? You know, it's part of a, of a crowd. When, when there's an attack that happens in your life or there's an attack happening, you don't want to be the one who finds himself alone. Uh, the, the other animal that I thought about, you know, it's like really challenged by was this one, the musk oxen. No better looking, um, but better strategy. You know, when these guys get attacked, they form a circle on all the weak and all the young and all the, the ones that are um, um, never or uh, most likely to get killed, they end up in the circle. They end up in the center, and the rest of them all stand around. And when they're attacked, the young are protected. And, and so for some, you know, it's this, um, this thought, you know, the reason you're never uh, connected to a group is this thought of, you know what, I don't need to be part of a group. What's in it for me? Kind of this question of, you know, yeah, what's in it, what's in it for me? I, I don't really have time to be a part of a, of a group that regularly meets. I don't really have time for that. I, I'm a busy person. I can promise you that everyone who's in a group is as busy as you, and yet they find time to be a part of a group. Maybe you're the one who's strong in your faith. Maybe you're the one who's got so much experience. My question and challenge for you is, wouldn't it be, maybe you're the one who's to be a part of a group for the sake of the young, for the sake of the weak, that you're there to say, you know what? Yeah, I needed somebody back in my day, but now I want to be there for them. Maybe it's time to be in a, in a group for something other than yourself. And, you know, time to circle the, the wagons around the, the weak, the young, those who find themselves and feel alone. See, we all have an enemy, very real enemy. It's interesting we see the picture of the lion and the wildebeest because Peter the same Peter who hung around with Jesus, he wrote this to the persecuted believers of his day. In 1 Peter 5, 8, he says, hey, stay alert. Wake up. Wake up. Stay alert. He says, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He's not like this little guy you see at Halloween, little red soup, pitchfork, and little horns, and like, oh, he's on my shoulder. He tells you to do bad things. No, he's a, he's a really bad enemy, and he does do really bad things, and he attacks, and, and he's got no... Um, what, no um, code of conduct when it comes to, to war. There's no middle ground. He will just hammer and hammer and hammer at your mind over and over and over. And it says this, your enemy, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You know, some of the versions say it says looking for someone whom he may devour. Looking for the ones who are weak. Looking for the ones who are alone. Looking for the ones, you know, who are, who are already going through difficult time for the wounded. And he says to them, stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. See, we all have an enemy, and for some, you think, oh, I like the idea of the musk oxen, you know, because someone else is out there protecting me. And, and I've had people tell me, like, Mark, we pray for you, because as our, as our pastor, you're the one, you know, you're the one in the front lines. You know, when Satan's going to attack us, he's got to go through you first. And I'm like, that's not in the Bible, you know. <laughs> he's not just going to come attack me so he can go after Peter DeBoer. He's just going to come for you straight up, bud. So uh, just, just so you know, I appreciate, you know, that you guys are praying for me, and I'll take it, but it's not helping 
helping you at all. The thing is, the enemy's coming after you. And because he is, and because there's a real enemy, he's looking for those who are young and who are weak and who are struggling, uh, going through stuff, that he can devour them. One of the things I love about, um, about uh, what our youth group is doing, they've decided, hey, we're going to meet every week, and then we're going to spend some time in groups. We're going to spend time talking with one another about what it means to serve Jesus in our, in our um, teenage lives. And that idea of being around together, that, you know, as the enemy starts messing with the minds of, of some, they've got others who are saying, listen, no, you know what, I want to encourage you. When people are going through difficult times, it's incredible what the group does, what connection does. It brings protection, and this third point, it brings support. Support. Solomon, uh, Solomon, a man who's known for his wisdom of his time, he wrote this, what we're about to read, and yet this is not a genius thing. It's not even that really all that brilliant at all. It's kind of common sense. All of you could have wrote this. Uh, and he, uh, he wrote this thing back in the day. And, it's, and you know, we find it in the Bible, but it's not a Christian thing. It works for everyone. It works for, for um, anyone. It says this um, in Ecclesiastes 4. At the end of his life, he wrote this, Two are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. Two is better than one. And we, we know that. It's the idea of synergy. You know, the idea of synergy that the... That the, the, the creation of the whole is better and more powerful than the sum of the parts. Uh, one plus one equals three when you think about synergy. This, this idea that we're, we're stronger together. Uh, they, they talked about, um, you know, as they teach synergy, they talk about the idea of an ox, you know, pulling, pulling uh, uh, weights. And uh, they, they tell the story of an ox that pulled 9,000 pounds to win the strongest ox competition. And, and the second one was just a couple pounds less. And so they linked these two together, and they said, you know, let's see how much they can pull together after they've each already pulled almost 9,000 pounds. And so that's 18,000 pounds, just so you guys don't have to do math early on a Sunday morning. But the 18,000 pounds, they said, let's see what they can do. Anybody, any guesses at how much those two oxen were able to pull together? 20,000, 30,000, pretty close. 26,000. 26,000 pounds after they had already pulled their, their 9,000s on their own. Linked together, there was just a, a, an, an incredible um, uh, added strength. Why? Because there's support together, strength together, there's synergy. Then he continues, Solomon keeps going. He says, you know, it's not just that, they're, that they're, they're better together. He says this, if one person falls, the other one can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone, they're in real trouble. Not only are they stronger together, they can help each other when they're in trouble. Uh, I want to show a picture of this, but then that little voice in my head that says, Mark, it's probably not appropriate, went off. So I can't really show you the picture, but for, let's just go back in time for those who are my age and older. There was this commercial back in the day where this lady falls on the ground, and she's got this ginormous little button on her, uh, on her, uh, around her neck, and she pushes the button and says, life alert, I've... I've fallen and I can't get up. Uh, and so she, she, uh, she's, she says this. And before memes, which is like the new kid thing that they do all over the internet, this, uh, they, back then all they did, you know, that, that line ended up all over the place. It ended up in Jim Carrey movies. It ended up in, um, you know, uh, Will Smith had it in a movie. People are saying in different accents. And then they, they'd have like this lady and then in a whole different language saying, I've fallen and I can't get up. And it was this thing, you know, every time something happened, you'd like hear somebody say, ah, I've fallen and I can't get up, right? So it's this, this, this thing that we thought, man, it's kind of funny. But then the memes finally did catch up, so I found one. thought, it's got to show it. Right, so, uh, and don't feel sorry. I can get up. Um, I've fallen, and I can't get up. We think, you guys, look at you laughing. You should be ashamed of yourself, right? 
But it's kind of funny, a little bit, there's a, it's a little bit of humor, but then, you know, as you think about that, have you ever witnessed someone who's fallen and has had no one around to help them up? And it's not, you know, like the tree falls in the forest, did anybody see them, then they really didn't fall, not that kind of idea. But have you ever seen somebody fall, you know, um, let's say morally, and not have anyone else around to kind of help them pick up the pieces? Have you seen somebody fall financially and have no one other than their family around to kind of help them get back on their feet? Have you seen anybody's marriage fall, and they got nobody else around them who's able to really help pick them up. Maybe it's a crisis at school. You know, maybe that you're, you, know, you see somebody bullied at school, and they got nobody else around them to kind of help pick them up. It's a bad spot to be. You know, maybe death in a family, you know, where somebody loses a loved one, and there's nobody else really around other than their, their family members who, you know, it's kind of obligatory that they're there, but they're all in the same area of grief and not able to help pick them up. See, Solomon is saying there's something about this group, this connection, this idea of being in a circle that's better, that's stronger, because they're there to help pick you up. The circle's way better at helping and at care than the crowd. The circle's always better than the crowd. I was at a, um, a couple days ago at a funeral visitation, and I went to, uh, to visit my buddy who was there. And as I was there, you know, I said something that afterwards, it just clicked in my head uh, that this is what the crowd says. This is not what the circle says. Because I went up to him, I said, you know, in the line, I, I said to him, I said, you know what, a lot of people are going to tell you this, that, you know, hey, if there's anything I can do to help, just let me know. But I really mean it. You know, just let me know. And he says, you know, it's funny, my wife and I were sitting around yesterday, and uh, we were reading, you know, reading this article, and the, the article said, you know, the worst thing you can say at a funeral is, if there's anything I can do to help, just let me, I'm like, oh man, I'm glad nobody's listening, right, because this is in the line, right, and so I'm like, oh, I said, but yeah, but you know, I just don't know what kind of help you need, he's like, it's okay, because my friends came over, he says, you know, they, they let out my dog, my other friends showed up with five casseroles, three days worth of food to feed ten people, and, and two desserts, just massive casseroles, he just dropped them off at my house. Then, then my other friends came over, and they just mowed the lawn, and, and then other, my other friends came over, and they let out the dog, and while they were there, they just cleaned the whole kitchen. My wife and I came home, and she's like, honey, you cleaned it, thank you for cleaning the kitchen. She's like, I took it, you know, I was like, <laughs> took cred for that. But he says, you know, they just, they just did. And he says, you know, my one buddy, he's like, he knows that I love Diet Pepsi. And there was, you know, I never have it in my house. So he just dropped off a case of Diet, Diet Pepsi for me. And it was like, you know, it's just like he knew. And he's like, you know, it's okay. I was like, oh, man. And I thought, you know what? I would love to be the circle. But there are certain things that the crowd doesn't know. The crowd doesn't know the name of the person that you lost, but the circle does. The crowd doesn't know what your comfort food is, that it's Diet Pepsi, but the circle does. The crowd doesn't know that you hide your key in the flower pot in front of your house so that they can get in and do that stuff, but the circle knows. And if you know who I'm talking about, please, that's just fictional. But um, this idea of the circle knows, the circle knows. And you know what? If you don't have the circle around you when you need it the most, it's pretty hard to get one at that point. I love hearing about some of our small groups I'm just so pumped and so encouraged by, by the amount of people who've decided to sign up for Bible studies on Monday nights and Tuesday nights and, and whatever other times you guys are doing that. It's awesome. There's a group that meets on a Monday night, a bunch of women that got together uh, a while back, and they, uh, they, they meet together, and, and one of them came up and told me a little while back, they're like, like, you know, how's it going in the group? It's like, it's awesome. You know, we go through really difficult stuff. We just sort of text each other. And I'm like, you guys, yeah, so you've been going through some whatever? And it's like, no, that's like big, big stuff. And like, yeah, we just realized, you know, we don't even need to call the pastor anymore. We don't call him anymore. We just call the girls, right? And it's like, we pray for one another. We surround each other. I'm like, that is awesome. 
Somebody called me at 2.30 the other morning, and I had silenced my phone, and then you tried to call Beth, whoever you were. I'm not sure what that was all about. But that's usually what happens. You go through tough stuff, and you're like, let's call the pastor. So if it was you, please tell me, because I've been wondering, you know, what, what that was all about. But that's normally what happens. But you know what? It's, yes, as Kingsway Church, we want to be the ones who are going to be caring and compassionate um, and have compassion for you. But what you need in that moment isn't going to be just compassion and care. It's going to be, be connection. It's going to be the people who actually know you and who are around you um, at, at that time. And we want to be the ones who are going to try and help. But you know what? That group is going to care so much more. They're going to be able to do so much more. And that only happens out of being connected, intentionally connecting Last two thoughts. Connection brings, and don't worry, we'll be done. Connection brings prevention. This incredible thought. We talked a bit about this last week. I was listening to Andy Stanley share a little bit on this thought as well. You know, the, the idea of being connected to a group, genuinely connected to a group of people, it can prevent you from even having to fall. For some, you know, as we look at this idea of falling and there's someone there to pick you up, prevention is the possible to be around people who see your blind spots. And we talked a bit about this last week. You remember the apple cider and the steak? Right, we'll forget that for now. So this, this idea, though, of being around people who see your blind spots and see it coming before you see it coming. You're like, well, I don't know, what, what, what's it? That's the point. You don't see it coming, but they do. You know, when you're hanging around with people and you hear how, how that, you know, husband talks to his wife and you're like, man, you hear him talk to his wife like that over and over again? He doesn't see it coming, but she's going to, ha- she's going to come to the end of that at some point. Where's the person close enough to step in and say, hey, buddy, this is awkward for me to tell you, but you know what? You can't treat her like that. It's going to go badly for you. You know, you sit around in group, and all of a sudden you hear how a wife talks about her husband, you know, kind of always belittling him. You know what, eventually that's going to tear that marriage apart. It's already doing that. She doesn't see it coming, but you do. You know, so many times you hear the thing that the writing's on the wall. The writing's on the wall, but people don't see it coming. And yet others around them see it coming. Had it in my life. A couple years ago, my brother-in-law, Ronnie, we were out and we were out with our kids, just the two dads and the kids. And as we were out there, he, uh, afterwards, he sat me down and he says, Mark, you know what? He's like, the way you talk to your kids, he says, you're way too hard on them. You're, you're, you're like a drill sergeant with your kids. They're going to grow up to hate you. I was like, your kids do bad stuff too. You know, like, stop, stop pointing the finger at me, right? I was kind of like, I was a little bit angry actually at first because like, who are you to tell me how to parent, right? He's just my brother-in-law. I was like, I'm going to go key your car later, right? Because I know how to hurt you. Uh, and yet, I went home and I thought about it. And I was like, oh, you know what? He's right. And yes, it was awkward, but prevention always is. You go to the dentist and they ask you questions like, you floss every day? No, not every day, right? You know, whatever. It's, it's a little bit painful, but what's being prevented? You know, when you drive and you don't text, you know, and you're pre- we don't know how many accidents have been prevented just simply because of that. The accident hurts way more than not answering that text along the way. How much prevention is, are you missing out on because you don't have people close enough to help you see what you don't see? It's not always easy, but in a group, they're going to tell you the truth because they love you. Because they love you. It happens in church, you know, and people say, hey, listen, i got to tell you this, and here's the truth. And guess what we do? We leave church and just go somewhere else. Because it hurts. I don't want to hear that from somebody. Got in front of you. don't know what he's talking about. You know what? He doesn't really know me. It's true. Somebody needs to. You know, Proverbs, Solomon wrote some of these thoughts as well. He says, iron sharpens iron. Like, so a friend sharpens the countenance of a friend. I don't know if you've ever seen iron and iron sharpen each other. There's a lot of sparks. But you need it. 
You know, he says in that same chapter, he says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. If a friend will step across the awkward chasm to say, listen, I see this in your life, and man, this is awkward for me to tell you, but I care enough about you that I'm going to risk all of our friendship and everything just because I need to tell you, I don't want to see you end up in that place. That's a faithful friend. That is a faithful friend. And I would encourage you not to let, the, let bruises kill you. We've said that before. Don't let a bruise from a friend kill you. Don't let it kill the relationship. You know, respect what they've said into your life because you actually probably need it. And you should be counting yourself privileged to have a friend who would tell you the truth. And you're like, okay, well, Mark, you've pretty much talked me out of wanting to be connected anywhere after that. <laughs> so let me leave you with this last thought. <laughs> the main reason why we would do it is because Jesus did it. Jesus did it. He's God, and yet on the planet, he's like, I need a team. I need a group. I'm not doing this thing all on my own. I'm going to build a church, but I'm not doing it by myself. His mission was to make disciples. He's passed that mission on to us. Go and make other disciples. That's not to me. That's to us. So how are we doing? How are we doing? How intentional are we about making disciples? How intentional are we about seeing that mission accomplished? Because we've got a world of unchurched people that are hurting. We've got a world of unchurched people that are missing out on hope, on genuine life. They're waking up every day carrying yesterday's baggage, not realizing that that's been forgiven and they can find freedom and forgiveness. So my challenge to you this morning is to find your people. Find your people. And it might be, you know, we're, you're going to hear in a couple of weeks from uh, one of the girls uh, talking about group that it took a little while to find their people. Because, you know, the Bible describes us like a body, and the body's made up of all different parts. And maybe you're an ear, and you can't stand being around mouths. They just drive you nuts. You know, it's like they're too loud and whatever. Maybe you're a hand, and you just can't stand being around armpits, right? So it's like whatever, but you're not connected there. You know, it's like if you're an ear, find some cheeks to hang out with. These cheeks. Uh, you know, find some things that, that, find people that are close in that connection to be, a, be connected with and connected to. Maybe it's a Bible study at church. Maybe it's a small group at someone's house. I love that Derek Wilhelmus is here this morning. Good friend of mine. Starting all kinds of small groups. If you're interested in joining a small group, talk to this guy after and be, become a part of a small group. I am. Maybe it's starting around something that you have common interests. Because, you know, I've heard some of the funds saying, hey, you know, we're farmers. We can't really be, you know, the way you guys time schedule things, there's no way a farmer could be a part of a group. Start a farmer's group. You know, start farmer Bible study where, you know, we're going to park the combines for 30 minutes and we're going to have a Bible study together and then we're going to go to our own fields. Find some, some way. Why? Because we got a world that needs to be reached. And it's going to be reached through the groups of a healthy, life-giving churches. It's going to be reached through healthy, life-giving people. So what are you, what am I intentionally doing to develop regular connectedness? Not just, ah, oh, hang out with them on Sundays. Connectedness. I know them. They know me. I trust them. They trust me. I'm building that with them. They're building it with me. I'm studying with them. They're studying with me. I'm growing with them. They're growing with me. I'm there for them. And I know that they're there for me. What am I, what are you intentionally doing to see that happen? Like, well, Mark, how do I do it? That's next time. Let's pray. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for your word and that it's living, that it does something in us. When we hear it, it just grabs us from the inside and, and draws something out of us. Lord, thank you for designing this idea of, of being connected to one another and not just doing this on our own. Thank you that you've surrounded us with, with amazing people in our lives that uh, you, you desire for us to grow together with. Um, Holy Spirit, I pray that this week you help us to, to uh, be intentional, to just think about it often, about this I idea of connecting with others, and to help us find those people that you desire to be in our lives and that you desire us to be in theirs. 
God, I thank you for this amazing church and this uh, group of people that love you and love each other. Uh, God, we just want to be the best, the best that we can be for you. So I pray as we uh, go from this place that you would lead each one of us uh, in the next step for our lives, and we thank you for that. Uh, God, help us to shine this, uh, this, this week wherever we find ourselves. May people see you and see hope in us. May we have the courage to share it with them. In your name I pray. Amen.